0: Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of Practical Guitars to the world. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Guitars, or on Twitter as at Guitars. Support the show! Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitars. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitars.com hello jim hi david i'm such a nice guy aren't i i
1: know you are you always I, every
0: are. for those of you who who may be joining us for the first time or are not with us all the time you probably don't know this but i flip jim off like pretty much every time we start the yeah, show that's in the countdowns it goes yeah. three two there's the bird <laughs> right <Yep>. okay <laughs> so um that's why we always begin chuckling and it's it's a recurring gag and yeah it's holding uh i'm gonna preface this entire episode by saying i'm wound up it's way earlier than we normally podcast way later than we normally podcast in terms of the timeline the day <laughs> i guess. and uh i'm fired up so there's probably going to be some swearing just car your kids ears and don't listen to this place where you're going to get in trouble although i will try not to
1: yeah
0: my nose is growing like Pinocchio.
1: yes and and it will continue to grow <laughs>
0: yes I'm, I'm surprised there's not you don't hear uh thumping against the microphone <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I'm telling you. So we gotta we gotta talk. So I, I made a purchase this week. Yeah. I'm gonna come up right right in front with it. So I bought a cyber, what do they call it, a cyber deluxe? And oh, um which is, the, which is the baby brother to the cyber twin. And uh the the beauty of the cyber deluxe, I want to say the beauty of it because it's it's not a horrible Amazon. Sorry, it's you gotta remember it's what it's really 1990s technology. It, they it, threw a little bit of difference in it. it yeah, I mean it, it was, was it, it came was out developed.
0: in the 2000s, but it was like early 2000s, so it was all the yeah. leftover crap they already. So
1: developed. yeah, so what had happened was um, I saw an interview with an um, engineer on it, which I think I posted in the group, and the, um, in the interview, he talked about the fact that they wanted to make something that was a little more affordable than the Cyber Twin, which had the robot knobs, which were very expensive, and yeah, uh, the rotary
0: else. rotary faders and all that stuff on there. Actual piece of equipment,
1: but this is still a very expensive amp for them to have produced. And he talked about how every knob had its little sensor in every position, every potentiometer, all this other crap. And we went very much into detail um, how they improved the bass response in the in the speaker cabinet, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the fartiness of, of Fender amps and things like that. So he, they, they improved it. I'm not saying they did a great job. I'm just saying they improved it. Well, they had to so, come to a
0: middle ground. Like anybody who's used a Fender amp, you know that the low end on those can be like – it's big. It's a big sounding amp. And, and and I don't mean that in like a bad way. I mean that like right. your bass expands and it's very expansive. So it's not tight and controlled.
1: Right, right. And so it can really get flubby, especially when you add a lot of distortion at bass, mm-hmm. uh, that low end. So anyway, I bought it and I got it for a hundred and fifty. Well, it was a hundred and fifty. It started out, then it became one hundred and sixty. It came one hundred and sixty-five because the guy wanted five dollars to drive it to the tire center. I was like, all right, whatever. But you didn't pay so, it, did you? But I didn't. But I didn't. I paid one hundred sixty. So the nice point guy. is that that they regularly go in for about three hundred dollars. So I got it for about one hundred forty dollars off. So I was all right with it. I was cool with the with the pricing. So long story short, though, um, it, it looks like a day one amp. It's beautiful. Yeah,
0: it, he he showed it to me and I and I did a double take and I'm like, this has got to be somebody's like museum piece.
1: Yeah. He so I, I got from the original owner. Now here's the here's the kicker. This is why we're gonna segue into um our next thing. The kicker is that originally this co- the thing bleh, originally this thing cost thirteen hundred dollars. Thirteen hundred. Yep. Now we talked about last podcast, podcast before, we talked about the digital Digital amps or any amps that anything that you have that's digital or software-wise, you're taking you're, – you're rolling the dice. Um, this thing, obviously, you can't update it because it doesn't have the ability to update the software. But that's right. beside the point. Software is fixed. Once it's done, it's done. They, um <clears throat> yeah, they I, I don't even think those had a USB port on, did they? Nope, no USB. But they have a lot of stuff. I mean, you have so much control. Yeah, emulated the outs back, and emulated like, left and right out stereo. Um, you could do two different things on each channel. It had a really the the functionality of and it's this the, thing is. Really it's the little brother
0: of the Cyber Twin. The Cyber Twin, which we've talked about on the show before. The Cyber Twin was kind of a failed experiment by Fender. They built this, you know, the twin was always their their flagship. And they built the Cyber Twin in the impression that, like, oh, everybody wants a 2x12. So we'll build this giant studio amp, which kind of didn't make sense. But yeah. I guess, I mean, it's to do it all, right? Like that's right. kind of the way that they looked it was like Swiss Army knife. You yep. get your fenders, your marshals, your boxes, all in the same package. Yep. And it's and loud it's enough locked. to
1: gig with and good enough for the studio. That's right. And it was. And it's actually a decent amp. Cyber twins are decent amps.
0: I remember reading recently about a studio that actually used, and they're still using a cyber twin as like one of their primary amplifiers in the studio. Now I don't, there's a whole lot of stuff in the architecture of the cyber twin that is different than digital amps at that time. And that is that they had, I believe they had like an FET gain stage up front. I believe there was like um, there was actually analog gain stages in it. That's yep. And it was literally, the the, digi- the, uh, the digital part of this was a controller that actually switched relays to actually forward the signal through the various analog components that were inside the app. That's correct. Whereas, whereas it really wasn't doing processing. Like in a, in a typical, like my Kemper, right? My guitar signal goes through a buffer in the front of the Kemper, it goes to a DA converter. Once it hits a DA converter, then it goes to the DSP and the DSP is doing all of the work. So it gets right. signal in, it reads it out, it turns it into ones and zeros. Well actually the DAC does that, but right. it turns it into ones and zeros and then it does a conversion the other way and sends it out an analog signal. Right. So it's all handled by a microprocessor. Yep. In the in this, I there is a microprocessor in it and it gets used for certain things. But they're doing like this hybrid hodgepodge thing which is actually more akin to what Tech21 does.
1: Right. Um, so yeah. So with this, the, the guy was talking about that exact same thing. So with the cyber twin, the only thing that was digital, like you said, was the controls. They had to have digital controls and software to control the, the digital element yeah. of the of the of the switches, um, and a little bit, I guess, in the relay. Or I mean, the, I'm sorry, not relay delays. But the amplifier itself was analog. This um, is a similar technology. So what they did was they had this this whole thing the gain stages and everything is all analog. Mm-hmm. And then um the only thing digital the guy was saying is the um uh the the effects were digital. <clears throat> and then um it gets shot out to this virtual tube amplifier that then <clears throat> has all this um you know this technology that makes it supposedly sound like, and I got to be honest with you, as we all know, all it is is really changing the, the, the mid, you know, the frequency yeah. band, you know, where the frequency band lies, and that's really all it is. That's all they, uh, a lot of them do. And the other thing that they did with this, that they the Cyber Twin people didn't like the tuner, so with the Cyber Deluxe they went with a full like sweeping tuner type. Yeah,
0: deck. yeah, instead of the. <clears throat> Right, and I forget exactly how the cyber twin is set up, but I, I've actually played a cyber twin yeah. um, since we talked about it on the show, and um, I didn't think they were awful. I mean, I I don't think so. The prices they're going for now is equivalent to like what you would pay for that technology now, right? So like, right. that's kind of interesting when you think about it. Like, I'm shelling out like 200 bucks, but I'm getting a cyber twin. But the cyber twin is roughly equivalent to like what you would buy for 200 bucks now. That's kind of the way I look at it. Right now. Correct. Here's the weird part about these amps, and this is the thing I would warn our listeners about, is these amps are notorious for having mechanical problems. Yeah, um, the twins, the Cyber Twins. We're, we're... Both of them are, <coughs> but and there's a lot we... fewer of yours, so the track record's better. Yes. <laughs> um, so if you if you come across one of these and it's in really good shape, like it might be a cool amp to have around. I don't know that I would take it to a gig and like plan on betting the farm on it.
1: No, this is for rehearsal. This right. Is, this is For this me is, to leave in a rehearsal space and not bang away
0: on it and have fun yep. while you have it. Um
1: where this yeah. right now it's a museum piece. It doesn't have a lick of dust on it. Yeah I have my the the dishes in my um cabinet, which are quite yeah, clean, yeah, have They're more are dust very clean. <laughs> than the, this thing has. I, I pulled stuff out of the dishwasher that's that's dirtier than this. I mean that's how <laughs> that's how spotless this is. And and I asked the guy, because I looked at the foot switch who looks had never been used, he goes, Well, I tried. I figure it. it out. I yeah, didn't <laughs> care. And he's an older guy. He's even older than I am, which means really old. And um, <clears throat> he um, he said to uh, he said to me he said uh, I just found a channel and I left it. Now, now case
0: out. case in point on this though, and this is this is good information for our listeners too. Mm-hmm. So the cyber twin and the cyber deluxe, as I recall, many people who are not ingrained in digital. Amplification, like this was their first experience with it because I right. remember there weren't really that many other competing products when this came yeah, out. Yeah, you had Flex Tone something from Digitech. The Flex Tone 1, there was yeah. the uh, Axis 2.12 and then there was the Digitech RP1, I think.
1: Yeah, the jo- Johnsonville or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, the
0: J-station. J Station. J Station, thank you. Yeah, that's it. Um, but that was a total emulator. That really wasn't an amp. Like I could see, yeah. you know, I could see this being like the first thing that a lot of people plugged into. Yeah. But what, what got people about it was... The Cyber Twin itself, now, not this amp that you're playing, but the Cyber right. Twin itself, it was really complex. Yes. And they knew it, which is why they put rotary controls and things on it, because they knew that if you switch settings, you had to be able to see what was going on in the front panel, because right. otherwise they weren't going to get buy-in, and yep. they didn't get buy-in. And yep. that's part of the reason why Fender, like, largely just said, no, no, we're just going to keep selling tube amps for another five, six years.
1: Yeah, they didn't really come back into the tube amp, or I mean... uh Digital thing until... What was the one before the Mustang? It was the...
0: uh I don't know, but there's the Super Champ. And that's what I'm familiar with Super in terms Champ. of the Super Champ. They had the Mustang, And then there was right. another
1: one that was before the Mustang that was a... um Maybe... Yeah.
0: They had the VibroChamp XD and the Super Champ XD, which were part of the yeah. vintage modified series. But I, yeah. you are probably right. It's probably the Mustang. And the G-Deck. G-Deck.
1: G-deck. G-deck. But the g That's actually a good little amp. But it, it get was get not
0: aimed at... Professional musicians. It was aimed mm. to people learning to play music.
1: Bedroom players, uh, literally under 20, you know, or, you know, 20 it years old. It was a that's...
0: great piece of gear for marketing purposes. Like, that's if right. you're a first-time guitar player and you walk out with a G-deck, you have rhythms in it. You have yep. – um, you, of course, have your your uh, tuner and all that stuff. It was basically the equivalent of a keyboard player's, like, first keyboard, right? The one with the light-up yep. keys and all that. Like, that's what it was. Yep. And it, I, honestly, I think – A lot of companies could benefit from having a product like that. Um but uh nevertheless those products have kind of like disappeared for the most part. I mean, I know there's still (laughs) some stuff out there that's very Yeah. The G deck is actually
1: I mean, I'd be honest that if I found a G deck in the same type of I'd buy it.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's loud enough though. g deck is
1: No 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 I'd have it for in here.
0: Oh Oh, yeah, just just playing around the house. Sure. I I could see
1: that. Leave it in the living room or leave in a bedroom.
0: Um so this is brings us into this other piece of gear that Fender's So announced. this
1: new yeah, this new piece of gear that Fender's got. It's called the Tone Master. Now, I, first of all There's more um, than one.
0: There's there it's a yeah, series there's two. of things. Right. So
1: there's there's actually two right now. I don't know how many they're gonna go to, <laughs> but there's two right now. So they have one that's a Cyber Twin Tone Master. It's well it's a twin. Tone reverb. Master Cyber Twin. Twin reverb. And, or, I mean sorry, t- twin. Yeah. So the Tone Master Twin Reverb and the Tone Master Deluxe Reverb.
0: Yeah, and that basically, as you can probably surmise, these amps are a twin. It's about a, seventy-five tube watts in, in yep. terms of volume, yep. and the Deluxe Reverb that's at about twenty-two watts in terms of tube volume. Right. So now,
1: here's here's what here's the problem I have. Okay, so um, uh, the sales the sales pitch for this thing is, hey, you don't have to take out your your tube amp. Which means you don't have to worry about banging the tubes around. Okay, that's a good, one. and it's lighter, which
0: much light, much lighter.
1: Twin is like twenty three pounds lighter than the. Oh, uh, you uh, did your research
0: because I didn't know the actual numbers, but I knew the, it was yeah, like about twenty, about 20 tone pounds.
1: tone master is about twenty three pounds lighter, and the other the um or the tone tw- tone master twin about twenty three pounds lighter, and the tone master deluxe is in the eighteen because obviously yeah, that's it's
0: like between eighteen and fifteen pounds lighter, and there's yeah. some variants so, because the cabinets are
1: wood. No. Right, because the cabinets are made of wood, and and they made the cabinets. The be, I think that the the thing that will sell, but I'm gonna I'm gonna quote somebody in a few minutes here. But the thing that will sell them is they look identical. The only difference is there's and a little, little tone Tag master badge. It says tone master. My understanding is you can just pull it off. I was just gonna say it's like a it's, sticker.
0: It's very removable.
1: Yes. Very removable, easily removed so, pe- so people don't look down on you because God knows everybody's looking down on you if you don't have an actual – no, nobody knows what that is well, except for the other guitar players. Do you that's know side of
0: I, I This is going to sound awful, but you know where that's useful, right? Churches.
1: Yeah, churches.
0: Because yeah. if you're playing in a – if you're guesting in another church and the guitar player comes up and goes, you got a solid state amp, you know, kind of yeah. – which at this day and age, if you have somebody that has an
1: attitude like that – i would you don't belong i I know he's in
0: church but like i would just take him out back and flip him off
1: yeah or (laughs) I tell him to blow it out his anus so um the the notice i did not use a bad word that is a physical description i said i would take him
0: outside of the church first (laughs) that's
1: right so um i I would do it right in front of everybody but anyway (laughs) so um that's why i don't get invited back so the the um the amp uh uh were that's in question so Pete uh Pete Thorne was asked about this because I made some comments Pete Thorne said the exact same thing I did it's a it's a, it looks the same mm-hmm. but it's the same price as a used version of the same exact amp that you could get all day for the same money or less,
0: yeah, or slightly
1: less, right? Yep. And and in a more desirable configuration, and in a more desirable configuration. So, which one do you think you're going to buy? Do you, are you going to pay a thousand dollars for one that's got a resale probably a maybe six hundred bucks now,
0: right now, now. And, and it's not going to go
1: up? But that's exactly that that ties back to this amp. This amp was $1,300. Mm-hmm. It has a resale value of about 3 It's lost $1,000 in resale. Yep. Do you really want to jump on an amp that's going to have probably three to $400 in resale in the next couple of years if you're lucky? If you're lucky. I have had this happen to me. I
0: bought this $1,100. Um, I bought an $1,100 digital amp back when they were first coming out, right? Like the Flex Tone 3. And when I sold that thing, like, seven or eight years later, I got, like, 150 bucks for it.
1: Yeah. The, and the I didn't loss... sell it to a music store. I couldn't get anyone to take it. No. Music stores wouldn't take the Flex Tone. I oh, had the no, no. Same no thing. It, wasn't I had that. A... it wasn't even that.
0: I couldn't get, like, on a private sale type thing. I was like, make me an offer. I didn't even list a price. Like, make me an offer. No reasonable offer will be refused. I, and my reasonable I, offer after three weeks was 150
1: bucks. In the 90s – no, I'm sorry. In the early 2000s, mid – maybe <laughs> mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, I decided to get rid of my Flex Tone 2. I took it to a music store. They said Line 6. We don't even take Line 6.
0: Yeah, you know – and and you'll get that stuff though. And like that's I've heard the same thing said about squires and stuff. That was the mom
1: and pop that was the mom and pop time before Guitar Center. Yeah. And now they, they won't like, turn no. anything away. <laughs> yep. Now they but at that time, I can tell you right now, they wouldn't even look at the line So They said line six pedals, nope, line six amps, nope we don't want yeah, any mo- line Most sex. mom and
0: pops don't take pedals around here. But the,
1: so. but the fact is, <clears throat> let's let's face it, um, there isn't any money to be had in that line six amp, and if I'd have sold it to no. him, he told me he said even if I could take it in, Jim, I'm gonna have to give you so little for it. I feel like I'm yeah, 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 it It's
0: like a kick in the nuts. I what mean, am I gonna
1: give you? Eighty dollars for it? Sixty dollars for it? It's gonna sit here forever <clears throat> and not sell. Nobody needs a kick in the genitals. Like no, and um, so that's right. I no, I was talking about my bag of nuts. I had a bag of nuts with me and he said I'd kick in the nuts. Oh, well, I'm, I was talking about genitals it's It was peanuts. It's fine.
0: It um peanuts. so <laughs> um had a whole sack. Uh whole thing. <laughs> it, you know, I so the so the tone master for me. So like this, I, I I look, this is marketed at somebody like me, right? So I really really dig blackface amps. I don't own one anymore. I had a Princeton for a while. It's just not practical for the condo situation. Right. Um and I see these things come along and I'm like, this is actually a really cool concept. And I was super like, I saw them drop and I saw the price difference. And I'm like, what is this? Is this like, is this like an import version of the, you know, the, the big boys. Right. Mm-hmm. And I went to go look. And then that's when I realized they're digital. And I went, mm-hmm. okay, I get what it is. Right. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is something that that people have suggested they'd actually like to see, which is digital versions of tube amps, Right. Right. But The problem here is this thing is like 900 bucks for the, for the, for the twin.
1: Yeah. And no, yeah, it's a thousand dollars. It's $999.
0: Yeah. So, so, so let's stop and think about that for a minute. Yeah. I'm going to spend $999 to get an approximation of something I can buy used for between $700 and $900.
1: That's right. And here's, so here's a funny story for you. Um, about four weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, a friend of mine stumbled across a early Silverface, which was actually, right? It was Blackface first and Silverface?
0: Yeah, yeah. But the Silverface so, twins, uh, so the, the value on those so is real weird. Right, tell you because you got to
1: get the right year. Exactly.
0: Right, right year. There's
1: only like two right years. <laughs> That's right 68 <laughs> yeah. and 69. So in 68, he got a 68 cyber, tw- or I mean, Cyber. Tw- I keep saying cyber, tw- a 68 twin reverb silverface for um which was right when they literally his serial number was like you know within a few of when they, they were black they
0: consider what like drip edge or something it, yeah. yeah it's all and thing.
1: what it what it was is in those first two years people who who may not be aware um in those first two years they hadn't actually out um uh switched the circuitry and CBS taken over um so they were they were pretty much blackface with a silver face um silver face yeah the ab763
0: like line of circuits and all that stuff right right.
1: so what happened is anyway he bought this and the guy said yeah it doesn't work blah 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 he brought it in had it tubed it works great yep so he got a 68 for for like six hundred dollars now he got a 68 for six hundred dollars and what 150 dollars in tubes i'm just saying i'm just saying even if he bought really
0: good tubes $200 $200 you can buy right now. You can go and you can buy right now a uh, with a super reverb, right? Yep. For like, and, and I'm talking a vintage super reverb yeah. for between seven and $800 yeah. and highly desirable, right? Cause the super, reverb, even great. the silver face ones, like you didn't really change the circuit that much. And the reason why I bring this up is because that to many people is the Holy grail. But the reason you can buy them is because they're they're not practical, right? So like there is something right. to say about the fact that these are lighter weight, but I yes. think I think these are the wrong amps to be making lighter weight in, in terms of
1: the deluxe. That's well, why everybody buys them. Right. And here's the here's the other thing I'm gonna say that, about this. So they're not being made in the States. No. Well, and and you know what? Fender has already made that clear, that doesn't matter. Well, I'm not saying I'm that. Just saying, I'm just saying that's is, the way they
0: feel about it.
1: Right. What I'm saying is they're not made in the States, so don't tell me that's what's brought up the price. The um, amp modeling technology has already been done because they do it in the Mustangs. That's not the reason for the price. You tell me the reason for the price. They think the reason for the price, this is my assumption, is they think the reason for the price is because they went out of their way to model the look the amplifier right down to the, I mean, it, it well, is exactly the same size, exactly the same face, exactly everything.
0: That in and of itself, like, look, I haven't had hands on one of these yet, but I will tell you this, um, tonally, right? So what they've claimed they've done, and this is what you're paying for is they right. took all of their resources that they've used in other DSP products. And then they built a model that is like really, really good of the amps that they're, you know, modeling. Now, this is why I'm kind of like shaking my head. Fender's not known for this, okay? Nope. They haven't been good at it yet. And they didn't publish any of the specs that you would want to see to to, to kind of get a feel for how much DSP is required to make this thing do what it does. Right. My 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 inclination here is that they took like maybe a step above Mustang Guts because those are the developers they have, right? So I'm not yeah. trying to say that this is a bad thing. The, the, the same platform that that is probably has a higher-end chipset. So if it's a Shark DSP, there's probably a higher-end Shark DSP that they pulled out and they said, okay, we're going to use this to develop because we're familiar with the code base. And this is what we're going to do to make a really high-end modeling product. And then they and then they spent a long time doing the model, right? Which is okay. And, and I will admit, I've heard the clips... I can't tell the difference in the clips. I I honestly can't, but that doesn't change the fact that there will still be a mindset bias on this product. And that is the biggest thing that all of these digital companies face. Look, I've shown my Kemper like in various gear groups and stuff. And I've seen people say like, well, you spent way too much money on something that is, not doesn't have tubes in it. And that kind of, I get it. There's a bias is a confirmation bias and all this stuff. And it's fine. I'm comfortable with it. I don't care whether you like it or not. I'm, dude, I'm a, I'm, I'll be real here. I have not plugged in my Mark V except to profile it since I bought my Kemper. What does that say? I have a $1,500 plus tube amp and yep. a $500 cabinet sitting, right? Yep. My, my Kemper, when I plug it in, most of the time, I have used my cabinet quite a bit, but most of the time, it's spit if into my PreSonus interface through my JBL monitors on my desk here. Um, because I'm playing with jam tracks and that kind of thing. Like, I don't... There's no reason yeah. for me really to grab my cabinet and make this big stack over in the corner of gear. I don't need it. So, th- this product, I think, would have been better suited at, 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 A, a lower price point, right? And they could sacrifice mm-hmm. some of the tonal characteristics... I know people are going to like, oh, that's blasphemous heresy. They could make it not sound quite as good, cut the price by, you know, not providing such a great model, right? Cut the price a little bit, and they could have sold a lot of these because I, I I know that there are people out there like I've done it. I walked into a store one time. I was going to buy a Supra. I picked up the Supra, and I went, uh-uh, put it back down And I, yeah. b- oh. because the, the, the Supra was a lot heavier than I anticipated it would be. Like oh I was God, thinking I think it's a, it's a one by 12, right? Like this isn't going to be heavy, but big transformers and all that it stuff. It in up. at
1: 60 pounds. Yeah. Well,
0: the super I picked up, I think was, um, not a Super Reverb, but Supra. Oh, oh, oh um, Supra. The, yeah. Supras are 75 pounds. Or Super Reverbs are like 75 pounds. Um, yeah. They, they come with wheels on them. Um, so the, the, the Super I was looking at, it's like one by 12 combo and it weighed, I want to say like 40 pounds, like 38 pounds. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was, it was heavy. And I was like, about what a, a one by twelve Deville is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um,
0: I so I just back off. Like these are Neo speakers. Like that's great. I'm glad to see people are starting to get into those kinds of technologies, especially for speakers. Actually, I really like the sound of the Neo Creambacks, um, and I'm I'm glad to see that there's some innovative things going on here. I think Fender, in another three or four years, is going to have a product like this at a lower price point. It'll be really, really successful. Um,
1: well. So here's my here's my take on it that that I want to say. <clears throat> if you're only modeling one amp, you don't really need that much more processing power. And I I, I
0: think first, you might be right. I, I, yeah. I do. I, I don't I'm just, know for sure. I'm just
1: saying, you're you're only worried about modeling the amp. You're not really worried about modeling anything beyond reverb because they don't come with delay, they don't come with you're, you're, in other words, the processor that you're using in an app that's like, oh, it'll do it, you know, no, it'll do 17 different. It's just like a Windows computer versus a, a Mac. Well, there, a Mac can have a smaller processor stop and you. yet do more because of the software. I'm gonna stop
0: you because it's nothing like an x86 chip. Like that's where yeah, I, that's where that and that whole argument I, ends I know, completely. I know, I know, they're not. They're so. It's machine
1: code.
0: I go- no, no, it's not. It's not just that. Like I'm gonna, I want to back up and I want to try to give our, our our listeners an understanding of what DSP actually is versus like a computer processor. Because I see this, I see this in groups. I think this is a, a worthwhile discussion to have. So, in a in a computer microprocessor, it is a very flexible right. piece, right? Like it does a lot of right. different things. And, it, and what it,
1: they call function codes.
0: Yeah, and it has. Well, so yeah, there's that. But it also it's it's made so that. It can have, like, multiple tasks going on at once, those kind of things. Right, right. Um, DSP is far more limited in the sense that it, it its primary function is to take a signal, do something to it very quickly, and then in and out. And the, and and it, so that's why you have in, like, the Helix, you have this limitation on how much stuff you could actually do with it because it, ha- it has to do with the latency. Like, the, the more tasks you add up. When your microprocessor, when you are in your computer, when you're playing a video game, how long does it take you to put your input in and get, get data back? It's it's in milliseconds. So it's a similar concept, but an on and off from your keyboard is a lot different than processing a real-time signal. So, an analog signal. So in that sense, DSP has to be like a lot more powerful and it has to be a lot more focused on the task it does. So that's I right. can understand like if they have a really complex model that's doing some very crazy stuff to the signal that's coming through. It that they will need a more powerful DSP to do that. However, I will say, um, knowing coders the way I do, and people that I work with, and and I'm not disrespecting anybody that I work with or anybody that I've seen their their work. I know that coding can often be, um, I'm, I'm, bloated. Bloated, yes. And and I have a feeling that they probably could do what they're doing right now with with a, a really good, you know, middle of the road DSP and just really good programming. I don't know what kind of programmers they have over there. Um, and then you get into the whole thing of like, oh, everybody's going to have a, um, a spec matchup with like my processor runs at this megahertz and this. And, and that actually doesn't necessarily matter in DSP Meet chips. anything.
1: No. It, what it, yeah. So we talk about the IO. It's kind of like, um, like David was explaining. So if you take the input and output of the device, it's more like... I don't want to say it's exactly like, but it's more like what your video card is doing and what your, your uh, audio cards are doing and so on and so forth. So it's it's a completely different kind of card, which is why people were using video cards to farm. Bit- What's that currency? Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. because, <laughs> because their I.O. is so much faster. So... Um, <clears throat> do one thing and do it fast. So they have a small. That's again where you get into a limited function code set. There's a there's a there's a smaller set of of instructions. They call it an instruction set. Yeah. Um. That you can that it can do. But they're very they're very fast. And so the the thing that makes an I/O uh, the I/O or the DSP better is the fact that it can pump that stuff in. Do those that limited set of and, functions and reliably. Re- exactly and reliably and pump that back out to the to the final end now so i'm gonna i'm gonna say that that's why i said they're not processing reverb. They're not processing. Uh, well, they're, they're processing reverb, but that's where it ends. And even if they're if e- that's if they're not using, which I bet you they're using a um, if they're if they're doing it right, they're using an analog reverb. So really, the only thing they're processing well, it's a digital digitally. reverb.
0: It is a digital Ooh, reverb. That's there insane. is no tank because the tank weighs a lot.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. That's another thing that would save it weight. when not up the tank um so yep okay so they take away the tank that then they're processing reverb but they don't have to process distortion they don't have to process um uh you know they can do the gain stack without it's doing they're doing that. all they're I don't doing know. it all
0: digitally like i i, so, I maybe yeah. they have an fet input but i but, yeah. but i'm i'm reasonably certain the rest of it's all done in the digital domain and we know that dude we've played digital amps that we know that this this technology is possible and it's possible yep. at low price points. The katana, right. I know that there are people in our group that don't like the katana, but but the katana does a very good job of emulating the feel of a tube amp. It wouldn't yep. take a whole lot more, and I and I stress this, I think I think boss is is really kind of to blame for the katana not being as realistic sounding as it could be, because I don't think they have as good developers over there. Their digital effects, with the with the exception of their delays and reverbs and and some of their modulations.
1: Are not that good. Never
0: really been that good.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that's this is indicative of the same team that designed that stuff. And I know it's heresy. I'm a big Boss fan. For me to say that, like, I don't really like some of their distortions and overdrive products because they've in the past made digital ones that did not
1: sound good. Well, they did make one of the best distortions of the world, and that's the metal zone. They've made many good distortion
0: pedals. <laughs> I have, I have one sitting over here. I have one I'm sitting up there. I, I know, I
1: know. I'm just teasing you. Um, <laughs> I have a metal zone minus Mine is, minus is, um, uh, been reliced. <laughs> so, I have a Keeley have modded DS one. DS1. Oh, I don't have a Keeley modded. Well, DS it's mod, not, but not. I do have Keeley a didn't DS1.
0: mod it, but it's got the Keeley mod in it.
1: cow <laughs> and I, I I do have a, a Wampler modded. Um, uh, blues driver, as I've said many times, but uh, the point is that to me, I just don't think. I think they could have dropped the price more if they, oh, don- they should have. I think if, if, if this thing was ranked around five six hundred dollars, I think it'd be flying off the shelves. Well, that, that's, that's
0: where I was actually going with this discussion about like what this actually is and the coding and all the stuff that's involved. In it. Look, when you make a digital product, most of your price is recouping the development cost, the R and D, and in this case. Like, they could have lowered the price, sold them like hotcakes, and recouped their development costs at a slower rate, but right. ultimately had a very successful product. Um,
1: yeah, I think it could outsell the Mustang any day, any day of the week at 500 $600. Bucks.
0: i have done a lot of thinking on this, and you know what? you know what this product actually is? This is testing the water. That's what mm. this is. They want to see mm. if there's a market for this at all. They're looking and they're monitoring the buzz behind this product, not just whether it sells or not, but whether people are talking about it and thinking about whether this is a good thing and i would not right. be surprised if in the next couple of years we like i said we see another version of this amp not with the tone master label right with something else that that maybe has one or two extra functions that they're not putting in here because we did that we didn't even talk about the direct outs and all that stuff that's cool you can take a look at it um honestly yeah. i don't think most of the people that are looking to buy these amps are that
1: interested in Our direct out but but no. but it's there if you are interested in it um it did sound good. Uh, the Ederton's video did show that it's a really good DI. I've got to give them that. I, I am tr- I am all for having those level of
0: sounds in a compact package that is low weight. I am, I am absolutely funny. for it. I don't think – I'm not going to buy the Twin. I would never buy that Twin. That doesn't make any sense. But you know what, Jim? Like you did 10 years from now when these things are like peanuts, it might be worth it. Grab it. Because they're going to – dude, a 20-pound Deluxe Reverb? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Now, here's my here's my big caveat on this, right? All of the videos I've seen, so far, not running pedals through it. And that has been the make or break for me in so many cases. And, I, and of course, I'm going to tell you the Kemper takes pedals really well. Um, the but. Helix takes pedals decently. Not quite as good as the Kemper. But I... I, I cannot buy a digital product that I cannot push pedals through.
1: Right, Can't. that's
0: correct. Now I think and Andersons did do some pedal stuff in their video. They did, they did. But some I zoned pedal out. Stuff. Like Andersons videos are too long. It's really easy for me to just be are. like,
1: ooh, they are those jammed in and jam outs, and then the middle thing and the top. It does get kind of, it does start I don't to get weary. I've weird watched any either. of their videos under thirty minutes in like forever in a day. It's no, been it's crazy. pretty crazy. So it's crazy. So here's. Here's my take, and then you can – I think if they would come out, here's what I would have done to test the water. I would have said, you know what? Let's make this uh, – but let's, let's put one together for the um, – and I know this is going to sound wacky, but follow me with us. Let's make one of these, but let's make it for the Blues Junior. Let's put out a Blues Junior that's digital. I know you're going to say, what? But think about it for a minute. If you could put out the Blues Junior digitally – and you could match. The only problem people have with the Blues Junior is not the tone. A lot of people love the tone of the Blues Junior. That thing is a is a staple in a lot of people's some um, stuff. the The problem with the Blues Junior is it's still six hundred dollars. Also hard to say, and it's it is hard to say. And, it, and it, <laughs> you could just say the the initials, um, but oh, the, <laughs> that's even worse. But the but the um, the Blues Junior is um, uh, to me. Um, if if uh, I was gonna do this, I'd go either to the Blues Junior or the 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 Deluxe, and I'd say, okay, let's let's get a um, amp out there that that tests the water in a little more like a three or four hundred dollar um, category. That's a one a one stop shop that looks the same, has the same power stuff, does the same thing. You, also, you, has you
0: might things. be right there, but I think that I think the power and the attractiveness of the Blues Junior is not the sound of it. I think it's the price, because I know when I was looking at them years ago, it was like I can buy a tube amp for like. And back then, I'm dating myself. They're like 350 bucks, yeah. you know. And I, I'm actually kind of like in the market for something like that now. But I'm not, you know, I'm not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy one. Um, but if I saw one used for 250 or something, like, I would probably jump on it. Um, yeah. I,
1: Because to me, that's a price point of a Blues Junior. Yeah. Right around 250 to 300 yeah, and, That's it. And, and
0: the first thing I do I'm not is paying to rip that speaker dollars. out, throw it in the garbage, and put a green back in it. because. I cannot stand the speaker that's in those things. Yeah. Um, and I want to low, I like low-watch speakers for, for bluesy stuff. And that's probably what I would use it for. So, exactly. Um,
1: you got a 25-watt speaker in there versus the. What have they got in they that thing?
0: But, you know, amps are totally useless to me now anyway. Like I just talked about the fact that I got a camper, mm-hmm. I don't plug anything in anymore. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but be that as it may, there's another digital product. <laughs> that has been sailing around the internet well not say it's been laying on the ground and then big tank treads have been rolling (laughs) over it on the internet okay
1: yeah repeatedly
0: for the last couple of weeks we've got to talk about
1: we've got to talk about the elephant in the room um elephant we said we weren't going to talk about um uh our friends at uh uh what do you call it at at gibson but
0: no 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 this isn't this isn't about gibson right so like it's really not. I, I'm them. actually going to kind of come to the defense a little bit on this. I know people are going to get mad at me, but 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 I want you to hear the rational side of what I'm going to say. And Jim, you can butt in or whatever. But basically this, like I see this video, right? And my initial gut reaction was the same with everybody else. I'm like, dude, they could have given these guitars to somebody or something. But I didn't know a whole lot about the Robot X. Like I knew it was a $5,000 guitar that like didn't go anywhere because it had the robot tuners. and stuff. What I didn't know... When I started digging in, was that it had like the three band sliders in the side of the guitar and it had um they of course it had the mine minotune system or whatever they were calling it at that time. Yep. And it and it had the version where the control was in the body, so there was a wire or a strip or something that ran all the way up yep. the guitar through the neck to the headstock. To the um, headstock. Which yeah. means if you get any corrosion, your your neck is toast, right? Um yep. of course it's set neck construction, it has that bowling ball finish. Which that's what I yep. called it. It looks like a urethane. That's the
1: only thing that was poorly cool. finished.
0: Yeah, I like that, but I don't think that should have been on a five thousand dollar guitar. Um no. and the other thing is uh the, the controls were like highly proprietary. It was Bluetooth and USB. It was an old version of uh, Bluetooth. Um the software was quickly deprecated for it. You had to have foot controllers to go with this thing, which were like totally proprietary. You weren't yep. gonna and get you, a replacement if your for
1: this. Foot controller broke or your foot controller had prop.
0: Yeah, I don't. just I saw this and I go. This is a fifty five hundred dollar paperweight in three years. When I, after I watched the video, so I made my initial reaction video, which was like, "This is really sad." And then I and then I completely deleted it like right away. And I went, "Wait a minute," because I watched this video and I'm like, "This is ridiculous. You can't you can't refurbish these and give these to people. You can't even no. like even in their current condition. Like if they were if they were fully working, which they probably were." if they were fully working and you handed these to somebody, they were already trash because they, they, they were out I, of date. Things didn't work on them to begin with, like the tuning yeah, from system. From the beginning. Um, so I don't, I mean, this is not the kind of thing that you to do that. Now you could say if if this were, if the, when did these come out? They were like, what,
1: 2013,
0: 2014?
1: Yeah. I want to say it was 2011, but it might've been later. Yeah.
0: Um, so when these, when these guitars showed up, right. Um. Mm-hmm. If Gibson had done the smart thing and realized that, the um, initial reaction to these was bad and they did their buyback. If they had taken them in and immediately made changes like, okay, we're going to install conventional electronics. We're going to fill up the cavity. We're going to refinish the guitar. So nobody can tell. And we'll sell them as a factory second. Or no, I don't advocate. They do that because I think, I think that's the wrong message too. It's like, here's a $5,500 guitar that we refurbished, call it a factory second and sell it as Gibson. What they should have done is just strip the strip, the branding from them completely. They should have they filled them in with whatever and put regular old electronics in them and just shipped them out immediately after they got the beck in. Because here's the problem. So Gibson makes a $5,500 guitar, and I'm sure a lot of that was development cost for the DSP and, and software that's in them, which is – that's a whole uh-huh. part of this discussion. Same right. play, feeds into the original um, discussion about that's the – That's right, with whatever. the
1: Fender thing. Um, that's
0: so right. – they're they trying to recoup their costs, which is why it's fifty five hundred bucks. That's why there's not they're not flame tops. They don't have these insane finishes like going on. It's it's very like bare bones, minimalistic thing. And then you sell these turds, right? And nobody wants them, so they buy them back. And then here's what really actually happens. So Gibson bought back, and I've and and I've heard this number said over and over. They bought back like eight. It, was it ninety? five percent of the line or something in other words right. they sent them out and they sold less than five percent or something and then that's they right. bring them back and they sit on them and now if these guitars i don't know what year they came out in if they come back in 2011 that's warehouse space that they are sitting in it is now 2019 it is eight years later and they're running them over with a bulldozer everybody's freaking out because they're like oh my gosh This is all this money they're just destroying. Listen, it's way more money than you think it is because they're paying to keep these in a climate-controlled facility with no intention of ever doing anything with these guitars. These guitars should have been shredded almost immediately after they were brought in in order to recoup any sort of loss that was going to go on here. So instead, they probably doubled the cost of these instruments. Which means... Now, charitable donations aside, right? Like, so everybody thinks that's a great idea. It totally is because it's a great tax write-off for Gibson if they do it. However, coordinating charitable donations for this would
1: probably cost them more money than they would make back on the write-off. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little charitable donations yeah. thing because all these guitar players, it's like, you should have given them the charity. First of all, they were garbage, Okay. So that's like, hey, you know what? I got this I got this um I got this leftover Taco Bell bag. You here's want a, it? Here's, I didn't a, here's need a stratocaster with no
0: frets and pickups in it. Here, you want yeah, that?
1: That's <laughs> it's freaking trash. All right. So they don't want your trash. That's number one. Number two, I want to tell you a little story about Eddie Van Halen. You might have heard of him. He's some guitar player I'm not familiar. did something in some band. Too long, didn't I can't listen. remember the name. It it was like a Van Hagar or something. I don't know.
0: Whatever. So he sounds incredible. Uh,
1: you, you guys can tell I'm a little fired up right now. <laughs> so Van Halen goes to to a charity and he goes, "Hey, I'm going to give you some guitars." You know, what charity told him, "We don't want them. We don't want them. We need money, not your guitars." So you know what they? Yeah, so do I. I support the new Gibson. So you know what the you know what the um uh, the So Eddie Van Halen went on a a show and said, "Hey, I'm going to give him money," Mm -hmm. and he still gave guitars, but he gave a lot smaller number than he initially had started. He gave money instead on the top. Now um, Robert Jackson has come out and said because he does um, yeah he's involved with an organization and he said that most of the time they they prefer money because they need to get stuff that the kids can. Can use. I'm going to go to another person. Philip McKnight said the same thing. That though he was involved with a lot of these donation companies, they prefer cash to actual instruments. So stop getting into this stuff. Now then, somebody said because I saw Ryan Burke and Ryan Burke. By the way, you you did ask a very legitimate question. Would people be willing to buy them for $200 a piece if that money was going to charity? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and I would if have. I had a penny, okay, if I had a penny for everybody that said, well, Taylor, if you'd have been pl- still building, building new I'd be buying And Bill Taylor said, well, you didn't, so shut yeah, up. Yeah, well, the, difference, and I had, but, to trash but the difference is Bob Taylor did
0: not sell his guitars for 350 bucks. No, we didn't. So so you you
1: automatically negate your own
0: argument there, though.
1: No, no, no. But I'm saying that he's not the only one. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people that will. They they talk. um, I've I've heard it from. I've heard it
0: from PRS. I've heard it from Bob Taylor. I've heard it from other builders. But the point is your product is three grand. It's
1: not three hundred dollars. If you I know, I know. If, but, if, but let me say let me finish. And that is that a lot of people start running their mouths until their wallets get involved. And then it's like, wait a minute, no, I can't. I I don't have that. I'm not talking about Bob, Bill Taylor said I'll I'll sell him for charity. I'm talking about him saying that he'd sell his guitar, you know, they wanted to bring it back his That's line.
0: That's that's the, my point though, Jim, is that you're you're making a comparison of two different things. Charity is a but motor. I'm, yes, you are charity is a motivator for purchasing it is i know i know somebody locally who has a who has a a company that actually does they they sell a a product i'm not gonna i don't want to plug their product on the show because i know that there's some other things going on there but um they they sell a product that a portion of the proceeds go go to charity right and it's like 50 or 75 so it's a very significant portion of the proceeds however they're pocketing quite a bit of money too Um, and my, my, the reason why I won't promote the show is because I think they should be giving a lot more to charity because I know what the cost of the product is, which is basically nothing. Um, what I would like to see is a comparison where, okay, so Paul Reed Smith comes out of the woodwork and says, you know, we watched Gibson destroy all these guitars. We're going to sell SEs at 500 bucks off. In honor, in honor of the fact that Gibson couldn't do this and we're going to donate the, the that $500 to charity, like we're going to put it out of our pocket and put it in charity. That that would be a whole other situation because it's a motivator. I work in an association, that, and that's a big part of our foundation. People will overpay at auction for the item they're buying because they know it's going back into our foundation. Well,
1: of course. I mean somebody overpaid for David Gilmore's guitar because it, they knew the money was going to charity.
0: But, well, um, that may – yeah. <laughs> <they're>,
1: well <laughs> – uh, let's probably. let's just say that I bet you that probably. guitar wasn't going to go for four million, probably three point nine something million. My point is this: <clears throat> that what Gibson did was not for public knowledge. No, they didn't do it publicly. Those guitars sat for years, over a decade. A lot of the people asked, thought this had already. Happened. No, I'm sorry, not not quite a decade. It was 2011 they came out. So they've been probably sitting for six or seven years. But the point is nobody wanted them. Nobody was making offers. Nobody said, hey, let's do – nothing. And Gibson had to buy all those things back. And they legally um, – If they've already rolled off,
0: they have to destroy them.
1: Yeah, this video was not made for public consumption. This video was made. People who don't know why, it was made to legally be able to go to if the IRS said, "Hey, you've still got those in a warehouse, yeah. you could still sell them." Gives us a no, we can't. We destroyed them, so they had to have a video. It was given to some construction company or whatever, right? And they they had fun with them. And the the um uh, the fact is that the the close up where the guy switches the knob is just to show it was a real thing. Because he wasn't going to close up all whatever. It looked like I'm um, close to 900 guitars sitting there. Um, well, I so I think
0: I think my my only. Cr-
1: I did have to laugh about another thing though, before I for, before I forget. So Ryan Burke goes, I didn't see a, a single broken headstock. Yeah, yet. and then there and yeah, then yeah, one it, breaks. Like, it's, it's and he goes. Stuck in the Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, but I, <laughs> that was pretty funny. But actually, I was surprised at how many times they had to run them over. Right, right. So here, here's the deal. Like,
0: um, I, the only thing I can fault Gibson for this is the they've been not very forthcoming with the truth in terms of what these guitars actually were. Because according to them, these guitars were damaged, and nobody would have wanted them. That was that was in their well, official press okay. release.
1: Okay, now here's the thing you can't see on a video, because we'll talk about that. So let's say I've got a bunch of guitars I had to buy back. We know we're going to destroy them, right? Now, tell me nobody in any company has ever done this. You get a bunch of crap in. You're supposed to get it destroyed. You stick it in a non-air-conditioned room, right? These were probably sitting literally in a closet. It's, poss- it's okay? possible. All right? And now they're sitting there. Nobody's doing anything to them. Eight years. Imagine. Guitar sitting there, eight years, never got touched, sitting in a closet.
0: I can't. I and mean, then, just just for the look of these, these don't look like they've been sitting in a closet eight years.
1: These yeah, look I'm like they saying, were they in were a,
0: a climate controlled warehouse,
1: sitting in stack somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they were probably just stacked yeah, up. They probably, I'm sure they in their were shipping boxes. Up. Nah, they, they just, were probably
0: in their shipping boxes. But that's besides the point because yeah. they probably just brought them in, scanned them, and threw them threw them over there. They probably didn't actually right. pull them out of the boxes until they went to destroy them, just so they could verify that's that right. the guitars were there.
1: Exactly, and then for everyone to get shipped out, they would add a QCM, and then and then even though somebody said, "Oh, I'm just buying it for charity, I won't do anything," and then somebody gets it in. Look at this piece of crap Gibson put together. Right, oh right, God. right. And so, so now the people that have got them on Reverb, what are they going for? Like one was yeah, listed at nine thousand dollars. Collector, these collectors <laughs> are putting
0: them up for nine thousand. They're going for two grand, two to three. Um, yeah, you can see sold listings on Reverb. If you didn't know that, you should check that feature out because it's great. Um, and yeah. it's something that Reverb should have had from the beginning. I think they've been playing games for a long time, so they they finally added that. It's a great thing. Um, I so here, here they weren't entirely forthcoming about the situation. Yes, I get I get it. We can play games and we can pretend like uh, like they shouldn't be um, what a transparent about this. What they should say is these were the buybacks. They've been sitting in this warehouse for for seven years. We don't know the condition of these guitars, but we do know that they were right. costing us a lot of money to keep them in the warehouse. And we do know that we were not going to put the money forth to get these guitars solo. and we do know that the the development of you know updates and things for these guitars was not going to happen. And so, therefore, for, from our perspective, it was easier for us to write these off and not deal with them anymore. And right. I think I think that would be amicable from a business perspective. I think a lot of people who um, buy Gibson would would understand that that conversation um, a lot more yeah. than. Oh, these guitars were broken and so that we do with what we do all of our broken or, um, non-functional guitars and destroy them. Um, I saw a video on Schnobletone's, uh, Instagram that somebody forwarded me. Uh, and he's breaking heads or they're breaking headstocks off and then, um, band sawing 135s. And apparently this is from the Memphis facility, which is the same place where these guitars came from. But th- people yeah. need not understand that's how all of these companies do this if the guitar does right. not meet their quality control spec they don't factory second it and ship it out to somebody and give it to you know okay. the poor starving orphans which trust me i definitely want to support those communities because i think that's a lot of our musical growth comes from from lower income communities um i don't want to i don't want to to build the stereotype that like fender doesn't do that so you should buy a fender no i guarantee you fender saws guitars in half all the time I guarantee you that PRS does it. I, I actually I've seen part PRS do it, and this is not the first time Gibson has done this to Firebird X's either. And that's what and that's yeah. what will frighten people. I, I had a conversation with a guy several years ago at this point talking about Gibson failures, and he's somehow connected with the company. And I forget exactly how it is, but basically he was in a guitar center and we were talking, and he said, "Well," he said. I understand that we may have bandsawed a bunch of those recently. In other words, some of the buybacks had already been had already been destroyed. So my guess yep. is at some point they were they were just destroying the, the inventory that was coming back in. Maybe they kept a certain amount for whatever reason. And that may be the amount that was damaged and whatever and they like they thrashed it. But they were they were cutting a lot of them up when they came in because they realized it was a flop.
1: All I can say is that there were 55 factory presets and 11 banks that you had to use a gear shift knob to access. Yes. The, it had um, controls for modulation, echo, reverb, compression, distortion, and EQ. The
0: controls on it on were the super guitar. Thought out, well thought out.
1: Yes, I'm just saying, on the guitar. And you could you could, again, you had... Bluetooth or or um, uh, I think the foot switch worked with Bluetooth, yeah. but anyway, um, and uh, you had you had to use these uh, a combination of the switches. If you think of Jaguar is hard to understand, this thing was a mess. And if you tuned, if you turned the tuning knob, if you hit the tuning knob instead of your volume knob, you were going to throw your guitar out of tune. So you want
0: to get you want to get silly with this, Jim?
1: Whole sure. thing, right? Hit me.
0: Like I got I got our silly proposition. I, I was I reading a, an article where they were talking and it came out, you know, around the time that the Firebird X was being discontinued. Right. Um, and they were commenting about how big a flop it was and Their And their conversation was this guitar is ahead of its time that, that in the next 10 to 15 years, we will see a, a quality application of the same mindset that developed this thing and that people yeah. would be interested. Now, I think that it already happened at that time. I think the very acts already existed which is a big right. part of like the genesis of this idea. Right. Um, and this yep. is like the, the very acts you'd actually want was kind of what Gibson was going for. Um, and I feel like they might be onto something, but I think there's a, I think there's a bigger suggestion here. Right. So let's say you're Kurt Cobain of the next generation. Right. So basically you're popular right. with whatever next generation of musicians finds yep. these things in a pawn shop. Right. Which is probably not yep. going to happen at this point because this video has gone viral so these things are going to be a ridiculous collector's item. But let's just say right. these things remain as unpopular as they are right now. And uh or as they, or as they, oh, were, they were before. This. Give it give it 6 months. And somebody buys ahead. one of these and they and it becomes their primary thing and then suddenly all of a sudden everybody wants one, right? Gibson reissues it, but they reissue it with conventional electronics. I think I think that's a possibility. Yeah. I don't think it's a possibility yeah. in this decade. I think in twenty years, Firebird X will be like an Explorer or a V. That not you know kind of like a, a polymodern, you know, like not like a super right. well known one, but um, you're we haven't seen an issue a reissue of the Marauder, which is kind of surprising to me. But but I could right. definitely see this being like this thing in the background that people actually like because it's not it's not as kooky as like the um, the flying V two or I guess the Marauder or um some of those other guitars, like the shape of it's actually kind of interesting. And I think for certain, um, aesthetic reasons, like I wouldn't be opposed to playing this with conventional pickups.
1: Okay. So here's, here's something that, that, um, this is from an article written by premier guitar in 2011 when I got their hands on their first one. Okay. Mm-hmm. It says after, um, uh, It's definitely not a plug-and-play instrument, as I found out when I immediately have to take down the case. I plugged it in and got no sound. After consulting the manual, I found out. This is the thing I was trying to tell you. I told you this was was something about it. When was the last
0: time you read a manual for an electric guitar?
1: When I learned that the Firebird X had to be turned on. This is accomplished by pulling the gear shift knob, and it stays... ...in this position let, until you turn the knob off by pushing it back let me, down. Let me get this straight. Can you imagine if you this. accidentally turned your guitar off when you were playing? Let me finish. <sighs> this is the first instance that I saw. It was a ne- seemingly endless series of manual consulting, and I think most people would be need to need to keep the manual handy. Now, here's the next thing. My unit's battery was DOA, so I put it on a charger and popped in another replacement when it came out of the package. Though Gibson says they're at least two hours from each battery, I only got about 20 minutes straight out of the second battery, which was slightly worrisome. Gibson says they're aware of this battery life concern and are working on improvements. When I fully charged the first battery, I got then I got an hour out of it, although it seemed like the tuner wouldn't come on when I hit the first five minutes remaining. Because it used, used a lot of Firebird juice. X... The Firebird X won't work without a battery, so battery life is a serious concern. Can you imagine a two-hour battery? People who have three yeah, or four hours. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I
0: know people who complain about EMGs, like, oh, my, my, my guitar battery only lasts like twenty-four days. Like,
1: yeah, or or the people that are using Fluence yeah. pickups that are complaining oh, yeah, because they're only really good lasts for like a year. month. <laughs> you
0: know. <laughs>
1: Um, it's like, uh, well, and, and the lesson here is that taking this guitar out, you have to stay on top of the battery charge and have spares at hand. So it's it's already a bucket of crap. Yeah, I mean that, that before you even get honestly, there.
0: that's the most compelling reason. And the, and the, and I want to I want to make this very clear to everyone. This is why I'm saying this. This is the most compelling reason these guitars should not be donated to charity in the current condition they were in. It, no, if the battery life was two hours new. Those batteries have been sitting for 6 or 7 years. They're not even workable
1: now. Those batteries are probably completely
0: toast.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. That's the other thing that, you know, the truth is that that these were garbage. And they meant to be garbage, and somebody might have actually written them off. And here's the th- the reason that that video may have had to be made, it was like oops. Yeah, these should have been destroyed we already and we, we just forgot never to, got destroy, around to it. destroy them. Better get to, better get them out there. Better make a video before the IRS, which, you know, is which, on her ass. Which so, makes it, which makes it even more like
0: obvious caricature of what Gibson under Henry Jeskowitz is really like, right? So we have this right. guitar that's untested. We do what is probably the worst press conference on earth, and if you haven't seen it, go watch it. The announcement of the Firebird oh, X yeah. on YouTube. I can remember watching it <laughs> when it was new. Um, if you it, go watch that, right? And understand that this company, with an untested product, made thousands. They made probably 2,000 of these. And, I mean, we're talking a $5,500 guitar, and they made 2,000 of them. And then they bought them all back, and people are wondering why the company's
1: broke. Uh, And that, yeah. Things like, it's things like this.
0: I I, I honestly don't think it was their acquisition of Pioneer or all these things, because they tried to scapegoat everything. The the mom and pops have, have ruined us and all this stuff. Remember that? He called out his dealers. Like, seriously? And, and and you an did idiot. this. You spent 4 or $5 million developing an instrument that nobody wanted. Could you have just spent $10,000 and do a focus group? You would have found out immediately that this was not what people wanted. Nobody wanted it. Nobody oh, well, that, yeah, I to, mean, to be innovative, it, how you don't many get, people do you even He all... was trying to be Steve Jobs, and you could see it in that press conference. I'm going to give them right. what they need not what they want.
1: Do, yeah, well there's a big difference between, a, uh, Nobody needs a $5500 $5, guitar. guitar. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants a $5500 smartphone, but guess what? Well, yeah, anyway, we're um, headed there. <laughs> they're coming. <laughs> um the the uh um this is this is another point I want to make uh because you, you made a great point about the the um the guitar thing and the focus group thing is that at that time that was a shift that some companies were making and other companies weren't, and that was that was bringing in people that were everyday people. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about Paul Reed Smith because I'm okay, uh, not I, that I'm. Can I before we talented.
0: skip? We're talking about the focus group thing. Yeah. Henry, to his credit, brought every celebrity guitar player he could muster to come see this thing under development. And I don't recall reading a single person saying or hearing or seeing a single person say that this was a good idea. All of them right. told him he was crazy and that this thing was not something that they wanted.
1: Yeah. I, I'm willing to bet that. Um well again, you know, whether you whether you think that it was a good idea, you don't think it was a good idea, you think it was a I don't think that selling them, even for charity, was a good idea. Maybe saying, hey, we'll smash one and put your name on it and send you the parts.
0: I think, honestly, but you know what they should have done, Jim? They should have they should have said, you send us $100. bucks, we will smash it. We'll see that that 100 bucks goes to
1: a charitable organization or something that's like right. that. Adop, that's right. Adopt we'll, a wreck. We'll, we'll say <laughs> – this was Jim Adopt ordered, Direct, you know, Darity. Smash. Adopt Direct. Thanks, Jim. Because
0: honestly, you yeah. can get square bullets for 100 bucks and they're going to be better than these things are for a beginner guitar. Exactly. They be.
1: And 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 that's why they're giving away they're giving away 1000 guitars, right? So they smashed about 1000, they're giving 1000 uh, guitars away over the next like, I need to talk months. to
0: I need to talk to Robert cuz I know there's a lot of people in the group that feel very strongly about this. And I think we should use this as leverage to like get people to actually donate some money and and put some money in that charity's hands. To get yeah. music, you know, musical service for people who can't afford them.
1: I think I think it's a great so idea. Maybe at the end of the year, we'll, we'll,
0: we'll, around Christmas, we'll do like a charity drive for. Them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Starting like yeah. October, we'll, we'll talk about. It. We'll, we'll talk do about. Silly it. Things. If you're interested, we'll do silly Post things. in the group, and we'll
0: we'll carry your stuff. Get get in some into some ideas, the future, so.
1: Yeah, got some ideas. Um, so I want to talk about Paul Reed Smith for a minute, and, and we're kind of shifting gears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. We've. we've Done the Fender Gibson thing. Good lord. We beat them, beat them, beat them into like the ground. Done with it. <laughs> so I went to see Firefall um Orleans in America the um it's Friday night. And uh it was a great show. And so I, I said on the podcast last week that I think that's a Paul Reed Smith, or maybe I told you on yeah. I, I think that's a Paul Reed it was Smith right after these podcast. Holding, but it was in the seventies. Yeah. But it was in the seventies that the that the um uh show was taped. And so it was a blue um PRS, plain blue. He started um, his company it was I think probably in 79, 70, 77, well, no, but
0: he was but he wasn't calling it a company, he was just making guitars for people. And then in 79 right. he became Paul Reed Smith Company or whatever.
1: And it was night well, it was 1985 that Paul Reed Smith became. Oh, okay. That so it that, took that according to their site. No, I believe it. So that was one of the first PRS's in existence, so that would have been Paul and maybe two other people. Yeah, if on not guitar. just
0: Paul himself. I mean, the first couple if of not, guitars yeah, were just not, Paul
1: himself. That and so I, I thought that was amazing. And he goes, and he goes, yeah, the one I'm playing tonight, that's the same guitar. and that's it's gorgeous. It's a As gorgeous I was playing piece, back man. in 1979. It, it was, did it you was a, awesome. Did you ask did, uh,
0: which piece of furniture that Paul cut up from his
1: mom to give it? to? No, but I, I, <laughs> I do want to get him on the show. Um, We've got another special guest. I haven't even told you about Oh, we got – uh, That's coming I, up. I,
0: we got – We can have guests whenever we want. I mean, we we honestly yeah. have got, like, people lined up that that I just keep – I don't talk to enough to, like, get them on the show.
1: <laughs> we haven't asked about – Yeah, as a <laughs> matter of fact, I just had a guy um, while we were talking ask me about the show. So um, uh, the, the – um, and we can't we we don't do this without you guys right no. i mean this is this is great we've got a great listenership and it's and it's a fantastic thing um, we're going to be doing videos soon. yeah that's um, a plan um so we
0: switched over we were using zoom for video podcasting yep. now we switched over using a new service called squadcast squadcast has got a couple of limitations but in terms of like what we get and how it operates it fits our model better um we haven't done interviews with squadcast
1: yet um uh did right. we do i think we did um, max with squadcast did we not we did do max max's interview was with squadcast and we're going to do um, another one yeah
0: we're going to we're going to be starting music. but but the <laughs> thing is like right now we can't do video like jim and i were kind of moving towards doing that by the end of summer but we're to the point where squadcast actually doesn't support video podcasting yet but they will and they've already told me that it's probably going to be available in september or october so we're looking to try and get there um and when that happens then you can expect to see a little bit more video content on first maybe we'll do one episode a month and testing right. we'll probably record them all, but we need yeah, to test it. The and then we'll start doing every week will be a video episode. Um that's yeah.
1: and we'll be putting out videos of our own. But here's a here's a um, David and I have been talking about yeah. what our format Once I, once will I finally be. buy one of those and, Zoom
0: video cameras, because I just don't have the time to edit video and sync audio and oh. do all that craziness.
1: And we have yeah, we have real jobs, we <laughs> have, you know. But I, I will say um that uh, our next um Guest, I'm not going to say the person's name, but I will say that in a related story, I saw a fake Deering banjo in uh, Guitar Center. Fake Deering. When I went to see that 40,000, yeah a $40,000 guitar in the bank. They, in the back, they also had a fake Deering banjo. You know what they weren't doing? Giving it to charity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were, were they, uh, were they taking care of business? If you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> did it, did yeah, it get so, stomped? <laughs> not but, yet, it was gonna. but I will say this,
1: that, that, um, somebody's in some deep kimchi yeah. first because, uh, um, the person that took it in, um, they, uh, they way overpaid, obviously. Oh yeah. Um, they they thought they were getting a seventeen hundred dollar banjo, and I got like a seventeen dollar banjo. Um, it's it's that bad. But I was like, you know, whoever took it in, it wasn't this store. It was another store. It got returned to my store. Um, I say my store, the yeah. store locally. Um, uh, they the store that took it in, whoever took it in, I got to tell you, I don't know what their eyesight was like because it sounds to me like, like they well were friends a, with a, the
0: seller. Kind of, wink, right, because you
1: may as well taken a Nike swoosh and stuck it on a pair of Reeboks yeah. and said, "Hey, these are Nike's. Pumas." Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was that bad. It was that bad. I mean, it was. It was not even a good attempt. I was like, "That's not a Deering." And he goes, "Yeah, P- I know." Can we can we take a second? I want to make a, I want to make
0: an observation. we were talking about Nike Puma and all this stuff. Do you guys remember? Yep. Does anybody remember anybody who listens to the show? Do you remember when Puma was like a Walmart brand? And then, yeah. like all of a sudden, Puma became like Long a desirable thing.
1: Like, what happened? How did that happen? <laughs> I know, I know. So a friend of mine had a pair of Pumas that were like, like house shoes. They were nice yeah. white shoes you wear in a house. Almost no tread, really, but they're just for walking around the house. Because I need something for the hardwood floors, you know. Otherwise, I'm going to fall. So I go to order pair fifty six dollars. What for Pumas? Much less. Not even outdoor Pumas; they're just house shoes. I'm like, oh, you know what you can do, and where they could take that thing. Um, so, anyway, yeah. I, I um. So in my in my recent uh, uh, searches, for stuff, um, uh, I saw that acoustasonic guitars are coming out with the exotic wood versions. I have yet to actually see an acoustasonic. Or anybody use one. Or anybody really care that isn't either endorsed or Yeah, because um, both head. Jack
0: White and Larkin Poe have used them. But Jack White, like, he's a Fender endorsee. And there have been a lot of Fender endorsees seen with these things in their hands. I think Fender was just sending them out for free to to endorsees and be like, maybe we'll get a few people to pick them up in a picture. I have not seen one person that actually paid Not that I – yeah. I mean one. not that I would assume that – I'm sure there's out there, but the, – Maybe they pay for the price. I don't know. But but, but point being that th- this is clearly endorsement fodder. Um, And you're talking about these exotic wood models, and I think it's almost like vendors trying to – they really want to attract attention. So it, if you're not familiar with the sales model, this sales model exists in another industry. Are you familiar with the car industry? Because I think everybody who listens to this podcast is either driven in a car – Ridden, ridden in a car or owns a car and probably most of us own them um you go to you go to gm right like what is gm known for they make cheap U- u.s vehicles right and i say domestic they're not right. really even domestic anymore they're produced in foreign countries in a lot of cases and it's a whole thing um but here's the thing they also produce one of the best-selling sports cars of all time um, and definitely the best-selling s- domestic sports car that we could, be consider- could be considered a supercar by some people. And that is the Corvette. Now, th- think about this for a minute. Why would a company that specializes in selling inexpensive economic vehicles in the sense that, you know, hey, you want a midsize car? We got the cheapest one on the block. Also produce one of the most expensive sports cars that you can buy that's made domestically. Um, now – Not to say that, you know, the the Dodge Viper when it was around and some of these other vehicles weren't more expensive. My point is the reason they did that was because they knew people would come in to look at the Corvette in the showroom and end up driving off with an Apollo or driving off with the the Aveo. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of the come on deal, right? So this is the same thing in my mind. Vendor's going to make a bunch of exotic wood acoustics, and maybe some people will actually buy them. But the reality is, they're going to come in and they're going to look at the exotic wood one, and they're hoping they're going to pick up the other one and say, you know what, with the with the plug in system for the for the uh, acoustic electric part of it, like these sound great, and I can just buy the regular one and it'll be cool, and it's only this much money compared to that much money, and I think they're they're kind of hoping to be like, okay, so there's the premium version, but you really don't need the premium version kind of deal, um, that you can get away with this this less expensive non luxury. <gasps>
1: Oh my god, I just saw the yeah. price tag on that thing. Yeah. Are you kidding much, me? Jim? So the the COA, folks, are you ready? Four thousand dollars yep. for the limited edition t- Acoustasonic Telecaster Coa.
0: How much does it weigh, Jim? The
1: Oh hold on. It's okay. COA. It weighs a lot. It's COA. It's <laughs> gonna weigh a ton. That's what I was gonna say. Hold on, hold on. Cause they got a uh, pre order now, by the way. Pre-order now. Uh, it weighs... Um, it doesn't say because they don't have any in stock. Uh, so the weight's Oh, you are need to look here. on site. Oh, no. I'm looking on Sweetwater. All right. Now, the the lesser expensive of these guitars <laughs> is $3,299. And that's the Cocobolo. Yeah. Which I think the Coca Bolo was introduced, um, Nam timeframe. So they, that was a, that was one of the first. uh, Well, now is it in stock yet? I don't know. But if you really want to spend three thousand two hundred ninety nine dollars on. Nope, arriving soon. Notify me when stock.
0: Yeah, no weights um, No wait's see if they've on the by the way, it.
1: which is interesting. Yeah. And and you got to remember, they also come yeah, with a the hard They do list
0: weights on guitars anymore, though, like for, for new models. Well, they do
1: when they've got them in, when they've got yeah, them in stock. Yeah, but I mean, if I
0: go to Fender store, like, they're not going to list that in the specs. I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't no, know. No, no.
1: But if. I got to be honest, uh, these, these guitars yeah. look
0: gorgeous. Get rid of the sound hole, oh, put, yeah. put a Telecaster neck pickup on it, and uh, put a Telecaster bridge on it, and I'd buy this if you got rid of the sound hole. Yep. And made it an actual yeah. Telecaster. Basically, just make it a Telecaster and make it out of Koa and uh, chamber it. Yep. Be, be worth it. I, uh, I would I would try. A I'm trying th- to find one. I, I mean, I'm not going to buy this. I, I I lie. I And I say this in jest. Because obviously, we've already, already had the discussion about people saying they would buy something and then they make it. And then they're like, no, I'm not going to buy it. But I, I, I think that would be a compelling <laughs> thing. I would be willing to try one. And uh, if it's really, really good and it you know, suits me, then maybe. Um, you know what I love about this, Jim?
1: I'm not spending two thousand dollars on an acoustic that doesn't sound great, right? As an which is why I'm like make it a good. I, make I'm going to buy
0: a uh, solid body guitar.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm buying a Martin for less money. I, I just don't understand. I could buy a Taylor for the same money. I could well, buy a Martin for the same money. but this isn't. This isn't
0: for people who want an acoustic guitar. These are. Yeah. This is for people who want an acoustic electric guitar, and they really want the electric side of it more than they want the acoustic side of it. And that's what's strange about this product is it's like this market really doesn't exist in the And I, and, and, I think this is, this harkens back to Fender's tone Master thing right now.
1: It doesn't,
0: the market for this really doesn't exist. They think it does, or, or, or the market does exist. Like this hits so many markets. It's like, it's like a scattergun effect. Um, I believe it was, uh, was it was a Tim Morley in the group who said that like, it's like they, they, they shot for so many markets that they didn't actually satisfy the needs of any particular one, which is why this product is not compelling. You know what I mean? Um, and and probably won't be a huge success because of that. Um, the Acoustasonic is very much the same thing as a Tone Master in that way. And I and I think this is Fender. So Fender's, Fender's made some sort of questionable decisions that we've talked about on the show in the last couple of years. Some of them have been okay, and some of them have been less than okay. Okay. Um, the Acoustic Sonic and the Tone Master are the two ones that come to mind immediately. they are like what, huh? But the um, the the one that I think is sort of like on the fence is probably that that uh, the um, uh, what they call it, the alternate rea- alternate reality series or whatever because that's not that yeah. was not aimed at us, right? Like that was aimed at a very specific market, which is probably mostly collectors. Um, but yeah. that. I think there is a market for it, right? Like there's a collector out there that goes, you know, I would really like this, you know, you're kind of cool if they did this, this sort of deal and then they bought one. Right. Um, but this, this doesn't look like there's, it's like they're trying to make a market, which is the same thing that Henry Jeskowitz tried to do. Um, but I will say this Fender is in a position right now to experiment, right? Like they can make some bad decisions and still keep their head above water. And so they can do some of this innovative stuff and try some things that don't work. And Fender's always done that. They've always made stuff that didn't work like the way they thought it was um, that maybe they do a reissue every once in a while of, but it's not really their primary bread and butter. Um, And so I think that's what this is. I think this is this and the Tone Master are both them like saying, let's see what happens if we do this and it'll run for two years and then it'll disappear. Now, the AcoustaSonic, they may have made a bigger commitment to this than two years. Like this this product really does look like somebody put a lot of money into tooling and to figure yeah. out the process for this. And I I I want to point out something that if if you haven't thought about this yet, um, Defender Acoustasonic, the American Acoustasonic Telecaster CoA, let me point out something to you that has not happened yet, but I think is gonna happen. American Acoustasonic Telecaster Koa. What does that imply? That implies that you could have an American Acoustasonic Stratocaster. Or you could have an American Acoustasonic Jazzmaster. Or an American Acoustasonic
1: Jaguar. Or they're going to start pumping these things overseas.
0: uh, Yeah, and I think that's... Did the the Silver Sky SE actually happen?
1: I, I think it did. No. I I know they were talking about it. That that they were saying I think they uh, actually that they were, did it
0: because there was
1: something the other day.
0: It? Yeah, it's not out yet, but it's coming. Um and I'll tell you why I think that that's the case. Um so, I heard something from a uh, he, uh John Mayer himself has been teasing a new guitar on his Instagram. And right. what's the logical next step and what's everybody been asking since day 1 with this? The first question I had when I saw this thing was like when are they going to when are they going to do the, SC, When's the version? SC
1: version? Because I asked it at the, yeah. at the uh, yeah. um, and, and
0: I factory the um Yeah, I heard people year. asking it at Gearfest. I I saw somebody walk up to PRS and say when are we going to get a, again, a uh, silver sky SE? Yeah. So I know it, it, look, it's coming. It may not be here yet, but it's definitely going to be here. And I have a feeling, I have a very strong feeling that the guitar he's been teasing on his Instagram is going to be the SE silver sky. If it hasn't already been announced I, I, and it may have already been announced and I'm I just, I'm just slow to, to actually like follow
1: up on things that have been said. Um, well, I was just on their page. I didn't see anything on the SE side. Um, yeah,
0: there's nothing in the C- SE Signature Series that's any different. So maybe this is going to be soon. Like, because so they, they still got the 2019 up the, models the up uh, for the SE stuff. Yeah. I have a feeling they're going to start yeah. announcing the 2020 in november Novemberish. Um, I don't know what their yeah. release cycle looks like, but I, you know, I this is the thing. Like we we talk about a lot of gear on this show, and Jim and I are not gear experts. We talk from a perspective of, like, wh- how do we feel about this? Because, like, that, that right, Master right. thing, that whole thing is purely based on the fact that Jim and I are, like, looking at this and going, this doesn't really make sense to us. Like, why? And well, so, like, therefore... That, yeah,
1: and we represent we, the really hope, player that's going to sit hope. there and go...
0: I mean, and obviously we saw that there was some dissension in the group. Some people agreed, some people disagreed. Um, but I think everybody kind of understood that, you know, yeah, there's valid points to both sides, and, like, only only time will tell what's, got, what's actually going to happen with this stuff. Um, but it's definitely like, there's enough controversy there that people are talking and maybe that's, maybe that's what these companies want when they come up with a controversial product, like a Tone Master or an Acoustasonic is like, they really want to get people talking.
1: Get people talking.
0: Um, now I, um, I've heard somebody brought this up. I want to, I want to talk about this. I haven't actually looked at this. So this will be interesting. I'll explore it on the show. Um, BC Rich is coming out again. So apparently they wow. are having like a relaunch. Um, and I think this is something that brewed up at Nam. Somebody pointed this out to me, so I don't know. I may be talking up my butt on this. But their website right now, if you go to their website, it's um, sign up for their mailing list and a picture of an amazing looking uh, warlock with a spalted maple top and uh ivory inlay. Now, uh, ivory binding with a black binding on the outside edge. It has a I think a 50th anniversary thing on the uh, the fretboard, so it, they're going to reinvent themselves. That's basically what they're what they're announcing. Um, so I don't know what we're going to see out of BC Rich. It's a company that I think there's definitely some nostalgia for, especially from the metal community. Obviously, there are some other people that have used BC Riches over the years as well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the yeah. second coming of BC Rich It'd be very interesting. They did make some conventional guitars that were pretty cool too, like the uh, the um, the Gunslinger. So um, I'm, I'm excited. Like I would like to see another contender for that market.
1: You know what I'd like? Yeah. What I'd love to see, cause BC riches, when I was a kid, BC riches were, yeah. People were looking at them like, Whoa, and they so really
0: cool. were. What are you, what are your complaints about BC rich though?
1: My complaint when I played one it was really heavy.
0: What if they chamber him?
1: That's that's what I'm wondering because that was my only real complaint. I loved playing um, when I, I, I played a rich bitch.
0: I like the mockingbird. Right? I think it was mockingbird is my and jam. the mockingbird <laughs> was my favorite.
1: That was a beautiful guitar. I uh, who played a mockingbird that uh, I was a big follower of um, yeah, Rick Derringer yeah. and. Uh, I got to tell you, the Mockingbird was oh, so sweet. Bitches are went, so heavy. Didn't they have one called the Eagle? Yeah, I think they did. I know, yeah, that's I what I was did. saying. Yeah, or... I was looking
0: at why well, I went to go look at the body because I'm like, which one is it again? Yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so heavy. Yep. Oh,
1: yeah. It's like, why don't I just
0: so attach, heavy. why don't I just take two cinder blocks <laughs> and put them on my strap?
1: <laughs> that was my complaint about the guitar. Otherwise, a guitar. Oh, yeah, was no, incredible.
0: great tone um, wood selection. It had every electronic option you could possibly think of. Um, some of them were 10 yep. strings. So they had, like, you know, that going for them. Um, But my whole point is we don't really have great metal guitar companies today in the same way that we used to, right? So, like, most of the metal bands I see are playing, like, Caparison or they're playing Ibanez or they're playing – some people are playing Charvel. There's a lot of Jacksons still out there, um, LTDs, ESPs. Um, that's what I see a lot of predominantly, which is like the same companies we had like 10 years ago. Um, there are some PC riches out there, but they're usually like older ones that people have, um, and in the studio or whatever. But, um, why I think it's important that we start looking at companies like this is because we're, we're our nostalgia right now. So focused on Fender. Um, I don't know if anybody's like really kind of paying attention to the community, but the reason why Gibson is taking so much flack is because everybody's in Fender's pocket right now. And it's not. That's just the way of the world. Like the music that's coming out today, that's that people are really into, is uh, heavily driven by Fender. Um, Actually, I was having a conversation with Nick. He went to go see um, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, I've talked about him on the show before.
1: Oh, um, not Bonamassa. He was um, uh, because Bonamassa is
0: a Gibson guy most of the time.
1: Yeah, this is a Fender guy. Um, No, this is a Gibson um, guy. It's uh
0: Gary Clark Jr. Gary Clark oh, Jr. Oh come on! Yes, which, Gary Clark he's Jr. He's got like Thank a great you. name, but it's really hard to remember for me. Um,
1: yeah, and he's got the, he's got that yeah, SG well, so, right. His, so he's had a bunch of signatures.
0: He had a signature casino, which I was corrected. I thought it was an Epiphone 335 dot. That he had as a signature um, that was like a higher end version yeah. of it. Um, but no, he had it. It yeah. was a casino, um, and he's he's played a lot of Gibson SGS. He has one custom shop Stratocaster that I've seen him with. Um, he's got that that three pickup SG custom looking thing. And then he's got, um, there's another signature Gibson he has out right now too. Um, and I think there are other players that are kind of like him that are out there. Like Joe Bonamas is another good example, but I don't think there's like a ton of torchbearers for Gibson right now. I think you're more apt if you're to turn on the TV, you see somebody like Jack White playing like a Fender or playing a uh, EVH, which is really quite odd to me, but, um, that's that. I I made the comment we were talking about the Acoustic and and Nick said, you know, hey, uh, Jack White was playing the Acoustic Jack White used to play Airlines, okay, and he talked That's about right. wanting to fight the guitar, and then all of a sudden he gets a deal with Fender, and the next guitar you see him with is an EDH. What yeah, a liar! played Gretsch before that. What a
1: liar! Yeah, so I'm sorry, crap. but
0: but if he was come on the show. I'll have he a lost conversation. Every with bit it. of but I want to make it very clear, poser. Yeah. I'm I'm yep. hardcore because I play these junky guitars that nobody wants because that's what they were before Jack White got a hold of them. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, EDH is a thing. Like, I don't know why I fought my guitars all these years. That was kind of silly of me. And like, dude, come on. Drop yep. the act. You're a guitar player just like everybody else. And you like gear. It's fine. And I'll bet you your airlines didn't play that bad. I bet you, you had the good ones that were really set up really well for you and you were thrilled with what you had. And you know what? That's fine. That's right. Don't make out like you're some rough kid that, you know, never had anything. And like, I, I understand his background. Like he, he was a work for furniture uh, repair company and all this stuff. Um, but yeah,
1: he was in Detroit, so. right?
0: Uh, somewhere like that. But
1: <laughs>
0: point is like, I have this guitar that's a piece of junk and I like it because it's a piece of junk, but then you don't really prefer pieces of junk. And I remember when he got his first like custom built guitar where he had the microphone in it, whatever. Um, and that was such a big deal yep. too. And I was like, wait a minute, the guy that plays bad airlines went and had a guitar custom built. And then is going to pretend like it plays like junk. I just don't buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's that's not what's going on here. Um whatever. That's his musical journey. He can go on it. He can look however he wants to look, but I'm just saying that a lot of this stuff is image driven and and is money driven behind the scenes. We 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 should do a whole episode talking about endorsement deals and how that's become bread and butter for so many of these like A-list musicians. Oh yeah. Um maybe we'll f- stick it in a future topic, but but the point is that, you know, Dimebag Daryl based a lot of his gear decisions, whether you like to believe it or not, on where that check was coming from, which is why he went back and forth with Dean. And um, it was Dean and uh, Washburn. That's why he went back and forth with with Washburn on Amps and all these other companies, because he wanted the best deal he was going to get financially. And you know what? More power to him. You should try to make money with with your success in, in an industry, but not at the expense of your reputation.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So,
0: um, BC Rich. I hope they come back. We need more metal guitars, um, especially if Dean goes under.
1: Which, <laughs> which you know I don't funny? think is going to happen. But um. no. But you know what's funny about BC Rich is when BC Rich came about, they were, I guess, I, they were they were on the borderline because um, what's his name, the guy that did Frankenstein? They were, like uh, more,
0: they, were um, oh, they were like Gibson, ostentatious, but like taken to the
1: next level. W- Right, right. Uh, but they weren't really made f- with metal no, players in mind. No, they were, they made, were made with
0: like, you know, uh, I would almost say like, psych- yeah,
1: Johnny kind Winter, of like psychedelic blues,
0: of. like hard rock, you know, maybe not. maybe not. Yeah. I don't even think metal had happened yet when, when uh, Bernie was
1: making no. these things. So no. They kind of got they kind of got into the metal community I think because you can town do the crap out of those things.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's and that then, I think they were probably cheaply available in pawn shops for a while. I don't think they yep. had a yep. I mean, they did have a big following when they were new. Um but once the company got sold and it's been in a, several different hands and I don't know who actually owns them right now. Um yeah. I Look. There's a lot of what I call mega corporations that own like five different companies, and that's actually what Dean is going through right now. Like they're owned by, um, and and you can tell who made good designs but was bad business people because they don't own their companies, either, right? Um, in in most cases, yeah. now, there's Grover Jackson, right? He's he's doing fine, um, but there's other people like Wayne Charvel who sold Charvel to to Grover Jackson, and basically now has his own guitar company again, because he realized like that was kind of a mistake. I couldn't keep up with demand, but what I should have done was try to figure out a way to make that work. Um, instead of selling the company and then having it basically become its own thing. Um, and Jackson is no longer owned by cover Jackson. It's owned by Fender, And you know, all these different companies have changed hands, but that doesn't mean their products bad. Like I would buy a Charvel today. I, I, I would rather buy a Wayne. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, I think that some of that heritage gets lost by the fact that they're owned by these other companies that really didn't understand what, what drove them initially and the classic example of that to bring it all back around Fender during the CBS years who did not get yeah. what they were actually about. And just like the linear amplification nope. thing where they said, Oh, we're going to make our twins. All we're going to do is make them louder and cleaner that's it, dur- during the 80s just just let that sink in for a minute up until like 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 78 to 83 when, when Paul Rivera came in we're gonna make louder cleaner amps at the height of like bands like Led Zeppelin and moving into like Iron Maiden and Judas priest era we're gonna make louder cleaner amps who are they selling to who I mean country players liked them, but that was it, right? And even at that time, yep. I knew, I didn't know, but I'm like, I'm looking back in retrospect because I'm obviously I'm only thirty four years old. Many of the players were going right. to er, to uh, the, the Ernie Ball Music Man series of amps. Yeah, they were Fender designed. You know, it was it, it was it was more what they were looking for than what Fender itself was doing.
1: There were a lot of people running from Fender bases to the Ernie Ball base um, uh, designs because, again, like you said, they were doing what Fender wasn't doing because they had Leo Fender, they had um, the the person behind it. And then when Leo Fender went to GNL, once again, um, people followed him because now they had Fullerton and Fender. So, so
0: I want to do our first uh, value segment as we close out the show today. Um, I don't sure. have it sitting in front of me. It's it's in a drawer in my my room. Um, but mm-hmm. I have a little Ibanez pedal that I mm-hmm. so my first distortion pedal, I went in, I'll tell you the story and then I'll explain why the pedal, why I still like the pedal. Um, I went into the the uh, guitar center, like everybody does when they get their first, you know, like I want to get my first pedal, right? Um I, I I was in a unique position, right? So the gu- the, gu- the guy at the guitar store convinced my my parents buy me a keyboard amp for my guitar because it made it more palatable th- for them to buy me a guitar, right? Because then my mom could play her keyboards through it, and I could play my guitar through it. Now my first question, because I already knew that I already knew this, right? Like I was smart enough to kind of understand this, and I had friends that played guitar, so I'm like. Oh how do I get distortion? Because the keyboard amp is clean, right? So here's the funny part, right? So in the store, the guy goes, well, you can turn it all the way up. That'll, that'll distort it. And he did this right as he was demonstrating and it sounded her and this, but he's like, well, you'll have to play around with the controls to get it to work the way you want it. And I'm like, okay. So naturally I'm not going to be able to turn it up at home like that. That's craziness. Um, So I find myself, like, almost immediately like, I got to get overdrive. I got to get, like, a distortion pedal, or I got to get grit, right? Like, that's my whole thing. I didn't really know there was a difference between overdrive and distortion and fuzz and, like, all these different things. Um, So I was under the impression that my first pedal was a multi-effects unit, the 5052. But I think I actually got my first single effect before I got that because I was... I remember asking my guitar teacher, like, what do I do to write up my sound? Like how do I how do I get that? I've heard some people cut their speakers and like that kind of thing. He's like, No, no, no. So he takes me he takes me to the back of the music store where I was taking lessons and he says, Um, they had like a little glass display case, they had little boss pedals. He says, But almost everybody has a couple of pedals, like you'll probably want one of these and one of these and one of these. And like you really don't need a whole lot more than that. But he's like, Or you could buy a multi effect and they had one and he goes, and that would that would work for you too. And he's like, That's gonna get you basically what you need to to learn with, right? So Um, I, I was poor, you know, and I, and, uh, cause I was a kid, I was like, uh, I was 16, 17 years old. So I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to get the money for all this. So I saved up and, um, and about 60 bucks together, I figured, "Ah, uh, about 50 bucks, right? Um, so I go to guitar center and they have, you know, the, the boss wall of pedals and I can remember plugging into all of the distortions that were there. I plugged into DS one um which i liked i liked the ds1 right i liked um yeah. i liked the super overdrive but i thought the super overdrive didn't have enough game because yep. what i was looking to do i wouldn't play metal right um which i didn't yeah. learn to do until like a year ago um and yeah <laughs> right i mean it, the, the things that happen to people um so i i tried the ds1 which i have in my hand right now i tried uh the metal zone and like i i I would have bought the metal zone. I would have done what everybody did when they buy their first distortion pedal and bought a metal zone, um, but it was ninety five bucks, and I was like, man, I just I can't like I could probably do it, but I'm like, ninety five bucks is a lot of money. So I was talking yep. to the guy at the counter, and I'm like, I really like the metal zone. Like, what else do you recommend? He goes, Ibanez. He's like, go plug into the Smashbox. Oh, so. Yeah. I plugged into the Smashbox and I'm I'm looking at the price. I'm like 65 bucks. Like 65 bucks. And I'm like, well, you know, it's plugged into this amp. Like, I don't know what's gonna sell like through my amp at home. He's like, well, here, let me plug it into this other amp, and it's like clean platform, Vox AC30. All right.
1: Oh, well, yeah, hilarious. That, just, just, just hilarious, like right? Because
0: like now looking back at all this <laughs> stuff, I'm like, this is just the most <laughs> insane experience I could ever possibly imagine. So here I am at the guitar center, right? And, and, I, and I've been playing about two or three months, but I knew, I, like, I already knew chords and I knew the pentatonic scale and, like, I could passively get through, like, a blues thing. So, um, I say it had to be more than three months. It was probably six months. But uh, I was sitting there and I was, like, playing through this this box and thinking, like, this is really cool, but I think there's like, something missing. So I turned around and I told the guy something. I'm not really super in love with the sound. The guy goes, oh, you gotta wait for the amp to warm up. And I'm like, wait a minute. What? And he goes, Oh, it's a tube amp. You need to wait for it to warm up. And I'm going, huh? Like I didn't even they this is how little I actually knew at this point. I so I went home and I took my little like Sam Ash Brownsville amp that I actually had one at that point. I got like a 10 inch, no, it was an eight inch speaker. No, it was a six and a half. It was a 10 watt amp, right? Six and a half inch speaker that that my parents bought me because <laughs> we went on a trip and it had overdrive in it, right? But I was like, this is not gonna be good enough for like, you know, playing, like playing at home. It didn't really sound that great to me. But I was like, it's portable. So I get home and I'm like, well, that's a real guitar amp, right? Like, maybe I need to wait for it to warm up. And, and Jim, I actually flipped the thing around to look and see what was in the back of it. Cause I'm like, I read an article in one of the guitar magazines, like right after I went to the music store that said something about like breaking tubes because you store your pedals in the back of your amp. And so I flipped this thing around and I'm like, oh, there's no broken glass. Oh, thank you. Um, and it, it took me. It took me probably, uh, probably two weeks to realize like there was a thing called solid state amplification, and that's what this was. Um, so it's just oh like hilarity, right? I, I buy the I buy the Smashbox because it's sixty five bucks. I have that pedal for four or five years. It is my if I need a distortion, get of the Smashbox. Now, what's cool about this pedal? Is it's the the Tone Lock um, Seven Series Ibanez pedal, so the gray box with uh, they have a button on them that actually pops the top up, top up of the pedal like a, like on a Boss circuit, and then you yep, put yep. your battery in there. And um, so the, some of the criticisms of this design, of course, of the switch is pretty awful and it fails a lot. But for, for if you've got a switching yeah. system, these are great because you can just plug them and they'll be automatically on, and you just turn on off the switching yep. system. You wire the you know you wire the thing to be permanently on. Uh, mine—the the one I have right. now—works pretty well. Um, the switch is a little wonky; I have to press it a little bit harder, but um, otherwise, it works fine. Um, the the—it's got four knobs, right? It's got, it's got volume, gain, uh, bass, and treble. Which immediately having a two yeah. uh, like two band EQ for a distortion pedal, it's almost a requirement because if you want to tighten up the sound, you need a bass control, right? Um, the treble control—you have to have that on everything. I, as far as I'm concerned, a tone control right. should just be a treble control. Um, so Exactly. The, uh, the cool part about it is it has a built-in noise gate, right? So I was like mm-hmm. – I was playing around with it a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, uh, built-in noise gate. like I don't remember this being all that good. But you know what? For the amount of gain that this pedal puts out, you have to have it because it gets like that yep. – it gets almost to metal zone territory with the gain. And what's cool about it yep. is um, – I'll, I'll tell two stories. It sounds like '90s metal, right? Like '90s grunge, like really right. heavy, distorted rock, like yep. Fear Factory kind of sounds and stuff like that. Um, all the way down to like Soundgarden and and uh, you know that kind of stuff. It, it sounds like a sort of like a like a tightened up Big Muff. I actually think it sounds a lot like a metal Muff yeah. with um, but the bass isn't as, yep. as like tight or or and you can't dial it as metal as a metal Muff. Uh, right, right. But they're a cool pedal. There's a lot of mods for these pedals and I haven't explored that. Um i thought about having my modded. There's a local guy, um, Alchemy Audio is up on the north side, and I can take it up there and they, they have mods and they'll See if
1: Bill see if um see if uh what I don't know if doing. he
0: does the mod well he, I've got his book and and they talk about mods for this thing in it. So I could
1: do my own. Yeah, he I does mean, his own mod I really wanted to. Um
0: yeah. I mean
1: he's he's you know for him forget so him here's to the do thing. I cheap. bought this pedal oh, for 65
0: well. bucks right back in probably 2004 2005 and yep. these pedals right now you can get them for like between forty dollars like for like forty dollars right and I it's better than a DoD grunge it's definitely better than a DoD death metal it's um it's just like it, it's very different than those pedals but it's you know it's for that kind of like higher gain thing. Um, I would prefer using right, this to right. do it, do it DS one, um, and I I've yeah. thought multiple times about putting this on a board just as like a freakout pedal that nobody would really believe you're playing with, you know, yeah, and and getting the, away yeah. with, it. because you know you see these cheapy even pedals pedals, you're like, oh, that's got to sound like trash. It sounds really good. I would highly recommend if you're looking for something super budget cheap that does that. 90 bucks yep. or 90 bucks 40 bucks not 90 bucks like a like a metal zone or metal zones are what they're like 50 bucks used 55 bucks used so this is a little bit cheaper than that
1: yeah
0: um and it's different so yep. um what i like about it you get muscular gain out of it so if you ever did the palm mute thing and like you don't feel like there's enough guts to it this does that really well then the, mm-hmm. the uh, low end chunk that comes out of it's really good and you can dial the bass up to get like Super metal, if you want to, and it gets pretty gnarly. Scooped. Um, I sent one of these. I bought one of these and sent it to Sixty Cycle Hum for them to demo um, on their. Uh, they were doing the gas and go demos, so the so the SM seven that's on oh, yeah, there. Yeah. Actually, the cool part about this is, that, um, somebody was out of their lock and they needed, and they were looking for gear. So I knew they weren't going to use it. Um, I knew what kind of music they played, but I was like, I'm going to send this to them and they can flip this, and they and they'll get right. gear out of it. So I did. I never touched the pedal I bought. But I kind of was like, I, at that point, I sold mine a long time ago. I Sold it to my guitar teacher, and then he s- sold somebody else or whatever. Um, and I just decided I was going to yeah. buy another one. So the one I have is actually my second. Um, and I mm. like I was totally nostalgic when I bought it, unashamedly, unabashedly, and I buy another one. Yep. Um, so that's your first uh, value gear segment. If you're interested, check out the Ibanez Smashbox SM7. You can get them for yeah.
1: What are the I was like going to say, what are they going for now?
0: 50 bucks. I mean, I've seen them as low as 20. Um, but wow. they, that's like a deal, you know, kind of deal. You, you might, you might find one for 20, but I, I wouldn't hold out for it. Um, put them yeah. in your reverb feed. If you, if you come across one or you see one in a store or something, just try it out. Like you might like it. Uh, if you're into that, that genre of music, like that late nineties grunge thing, really will cool pedal for that. um, and i think it straddles firmly between death metal and grunge the dod pedals and like the and the um uh what's the the metal zone right it's not it's not like super yeah. low fi like the hm2 is um which that's another pedal i don't consider a value pedal you you're going to pay if you buy one of those used um which i maybe may or may not right. be in the market for one of those but um i just want to have one around cuz it's it's a pedal that people are like seeking now um but I don't right. know. Uh, I got. I have some other stuff that I want to talk about value thing. I think what we're going to do is we're going to do the value segment once a month. And I think we're going to do it on the first episode of that month. Um, so I'm oh, just going to cool. try to, like, pick something every month that I feel is pretty strong. I have a couple of picks already. Um, there may be an amp coming my way that's going to be uh, a feature in that. Um, a lot of it's going to be nostalgia-driven stuff that I had that, like, in some cases I sold because I was an idiot. And I didn't realize what I had, like in terms of how usable it was um, and things that I'm nostalgic about for that reason. And then there will probably be some stuff that's like modern things that you can go to the store right now and buy brand new that are steals the deal. And um, would they exist? I mean, there's a lot of Joyo stuff out there. (laughs) So. Oh, yeah. I don't think we'll be hurting for anything in this segment. uh, If you have something you want to recommend, sure. Reach out to us. Yep.
1: Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I got a, I got a great deal on this amp, Whew, but that's not something yeah. you would be able to, um, yeah. But, you, but you know what? on a daily basis um,
0: Value segment, like maybe you do the next one. We'll talk about the amp. I mean, you've already talked about in this episode, everybody yeah. knows you got a, uh, cyber deluxe, but, um, yep. That's, that's a means to an end for Jim and, and, uh, some show listeners probably already know where it it is. it's headed, but
1: it's a very, very short term. Hopefully as short term as you <laughs> can make it, but, uh, Oh, yeah, one last thing before we
0: before we get out of here. Um, I'm selling my Kiesel probably, and uh, this is I'm I'm like really upset about it. Um, because I love that guitar, uh, but I have carpal tunnel now. I mean I I can't even not admit it. Uh, if I play the guitar for an hour or two, um, even if I switch back to my other guitar, by the afternoon I have sharp pain in my wrist, um. And that's even if I put it down for a couple hours and you know that whole thing. So, I've been wearing a wrist brace. Um, last night, I did a video in the group, and I was playing my GNL, and like I had no pain playing it, and it was it was a great experience. And I,
1: you're yeah, your experience is not unlike what a lot of people. I have small now,
0: fingers. I probably a should a have known people... better. Um, yeah. and I and I kind of knew like there was potential for this to happen when I bought my Kiesel. I really want to keep it, but it doesn't make a lot of economic sense for me to keep uh, um, what is essentially a sixteen hundred dollar guitar that I'm not
1: going to play, you know, during a two hour show. Um, So, right. Well, that's the that's the thing. So, a lot of people like when when I was playing a seven string, I played it for one or two songs a night, and that was in a three hour show. So you can imagine I played it for a grand total of well, seven minutes. There's a
0: song that I posted the tab for in the group the um, which is also the song that I posted in the group and was getting feedback about. Um, you can see that my playing style is not going to bode well for somebody with short fingers. And uh, I have four different ways to play the same thing, whether it's standard or in, or in B uh, in, you know, in t- typical seven string tuning. Um, so what I found that works really well is I just use the, um, I go into the Kemper and I and I down-tune it. I, I set it down to, you know, five half-steps. And uh, so I tune down to B, essentially. Um, and it's a little clunky because you can obviously hear the acoustic sound of the guitar playing against that, and it can be annoying if your guitar is not loud enough. The electric signal is not loud enough. So yep. it's annoying, but for the songs that I've written using B already, like, I think I can get away with this. So the yep. plan is... I'm going to have a lot of money when I sell this Kiesel. Um, I have the money that I got from the SG and I have the money that I got. I'm going to get from the Kiesel, which should give me well into you know, almost 3000 bucks. Um, and I'm just going to go cause I have six string guitars that I like. I have my S 500. That's pride and joy. The only thing I don't like about it is it's not stainless steel frets. Um, I have contemplated getting it refretted. Um, and so that may be something that happens in the future. But what I really want to do is get, I think I'm going to get a warm off. Um, right. I'm looking at some other guitars. I'm looking at the Ernie Ball Music Man Cutlass. Um, I like the flame maple, the roasted flame maple. I know pe- some people are kind of like iffy on the flame thing, but or that them, the uh, roast thing. But um, I like the guitars that I played from them and uh it's kind of up my alley i would get the humbucker single single um i just don't know that it's going to do the heavier music that i'm into um which may prevent me from buying one um and another thing is like those are two grand and honestly it's strat appointments for two thousand bucks uh it almost doesn't make a whole lot of sense in that regard and here's the kicker everybody knows i like fuzz pedals it has a built-in buffer that's going to be a problem whether people like to admit it or not, right. right, that's going to be a problem. So I'm kind of, kind of thinking the warm off might be the better way to go. I get my own choice of wood selection. It's going to be well under 2000 bucks. Um, and even though it's not going to have a lot of resale value, I'm not buying this to resell it. It's a six string and it'll build be built to my spec. There's no right. reason for me to sell this thing unless I get hard up for money or whatever. And
1: I got other guitars I can
0: sell before I get there. So,
1: um, so one thing I did when I was playing in a lower tuning to to get around the uh, the need for that is uh, you can now, of course, you still have to have another guitar, but a baritone is another option. Yeah, I
0: don't want to do anything with an extended scale. I have short fingers.
1: Yeah. Well, the beauty of the baritones is that even though it's an extended scale, it is a, it is a longer scale, the, the spacing on the frets and the open positions aren't as bad as you might think.
0: Uh, I played a 27-and-a-half-inch inch seven string.
1: No I way, do. no yeah. way. So then, yeah, you it. got a lot. But, of, you got really small fingers. Yeah, I'm like,
0: yeah, they're like, I mean, they're ridiculous. They're probably two and a half inches long. That, Silly.
1: That's something that um, you would I never mean, believe that somebody with fingers as short as I do plays like I do. I have I have the arm width and the finger length of someone that's much much taller than I am. Yeah, they're very short because I'm I'm. Five foot seven, you know but my, saw, you, know be, <laughs> you know what they say about wingspan's only supposed to be.
0: You know what they say about short fingers. short toes. Short fingers. Small fingers small gloves. Practical guitars.
1: <laughs> you have to play practically. I and that's the exact opposite. I like a beefier neck. I like a, um, I like a uh, thing, but I can tell you this: I tried playing a six-string bass for a while, and that would not my thing. That's called the. It was, that's called the widowmaker. Like this than this. And I I need to rap a little bit. That yeah, makes children into adults. Yes, it does. That's <laughs> that's a hard it's a hard sell and a hard press thing. Um, but I did play a baritone guitar. I actually didn't mind a baritone guitar, but I don't think I'd buy one. Um, I, luckily it was a friend's and I used theirs. But I don't think I'd buy a baritone. It's the same with the sixth string. I didn't buy the six the, the seventh string. Sorry, I didn't buy it. Um, it was a friends, it was a Jackson seven string. That, that Jackson
0: even, seven string that, with the extended scale that, that Kish has. Yeah, but it's yeah. twenty-seven or twenty-seven and a half. Yep. And it's a really fun guitar, but it is yep. not something I would own.
1: <laughs> I'm still I'm still interested in uh trying out the um Fender Alternate Reality 66. So that's yeah, still yeah, in yeah. My... All but, right. but there's something else that's that's like right now. J- Jim, I have
0: to stop you. Because yeah. we get in trouble if we go for four, an hour forty five. And if I say the word camper, didn't we're somebody say camper? Camper, camper, Kemper. Kemper? Yeah. Kemper? Kemper. How many campers Kemper. were in that picture? There's Kemper? one camper, two camper, three camper, four camper, five camper, six camper, six campers. There were six campers. Six campers. Ah, ah, you know, um, <laughs>
1: one. And the Kemper. funny. Uh, so so what you guys
0: need to know about that about that comment in the group? I posted this picture. There's six rack mounted campers, right? And Jim goes how many guitars do they have? Because yeah, it, it, it was at church, right? He's like, how many guitars do they have? And I'm like, one. And he just started like, oh, cracking up.
1: <laughs> yeah. We don't really know how many, No, but it we don't know. It's probably it one. Pretty, you know, but- <laughs> uh, can you imagine if it's just one guy? But he's like, I don't want to have to change it. You know what? I'm yeah, just going to buy a one bunch pre- of Kemper instead pre- of pre- <laughs> buying.
0: <laughs> one preset per Kemper, and he's got a switching system on the floor. <laughs> instead of, I don't want
1: to spend the money on that Kemper floorboard.
0: Yeah, so yeah. just buy All right, I've been David. Uh, I've been Jim. And tonight we have been Very Practical (laughs) Guitarists.
1: Thank you. Good night.